Today's November 29th. Uh, the title of today's sermon is Another Brick in the Wall. Yes. I don't know. I don't know why y'all are giggling. I'm just saying. Another brick in the wall. Uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. I feel like the Lord has a very foundational thing that He wants to help us with this morning. Amen. For many, or for some, it will be a reminder. For others, it will be a revelatory process today. Exodus chapter 5. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. If you are not coming on Monday nights, and we had about two and a half hours of teaching on this particular chapter, I think you should be there. We will not try to go into all that we covered on that Monday night here, but it sure is one of my favorite things that we do as a church, because I don't know if I've told you yet or not today, but I love my church. Um, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Everybody say, get back to work. That sounds like some bosses we've all had, right? We don't want to hear it. Just get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look at the people of the land are now numerous and you're stopping them from working. I want to speak to us today about this idea um, of resting from our labors and encountering a living God. Get back to work. The truth is, is I, I kind of make a joke about it being uh, some other, you know, some boss, some external force. But if you're at all like me, there is a drive that I have inside of me that says, just get back to work. Just, just get back to what it is. Keep working. Keep doing. Because the truth is, um, I had this conversation this week. I had the privilege of having family in. How many of you had family in this week? Right? For Thanksgiving, had some family in and had some discussions. Had some very frank discussions with some family members that were very, very, it was wonderful and God-honoring. And the discussion went something like this. Hello family member. <laughs> I will protect who, who it was and not actually say the, the name of the person. Hello, family member. I really think that you wrap your entire amount of worth as a human being in what you can achieve and what you can accomplish. I would prefer that you would be able to just enjoy the fact that God has created you and there's an anointing on your life and I would like for you to be able to rest in that. Um... Here, here's your coffee. <laughs> that was the discussion that I had. Realizing that this person loves the Lord, has, has grown up in church, um, has faithfully served to the best of their ability. And over the years, they've gotten wrapped up in the idea of only what I can achieve is that what makes me worthy. It's only about what I can actually do for the Lord. If, if I'm not doing the next thing for Him, if I'm not getting back to work, then the truth is, is I do not have a real actual value in the Lord separate from the work. Now, if this were a different type of church, I would worry that you might think that I'm saying that you're not supposed to work. But I'm not at a different church. I'm at my church that I love very deeply. And I know that we all understand that part of our 
one of the things that makes us us is the fact that we're going to go do the work. Amen? And what I'm trying to do today is that we are called to do many, many things for the Lord. He will enable us. He will empower us. If you are not doing things for the Lord, then you're probably missing your absolute calling in Him. And our worth is not based in what we can accomplish for Him. How much does God actually need from us other than our obedience and our all? How many times did David fail the Lord? How many times? Uh, on, on every page. Some things that weren't even as obvious. You're reading through 2 Samuel, for instance. And you see that he chooses to do certain things. And later on, he gets to Solomon and says, Oh yeah, by the way, Solomon, I know you're about to be king. And so here's what I want you to do. Uh, you know, Joab, I mean, you could do whatever you want with him, but don't let his gray head go down the grave in peace. <laughs> in other words, you can kill him however you want. I just need you to go kill him. There, there were people, <laughs> Shemaiah, hey, by the way, that guy who cussed at us while we were coming out and broken in a, in a terrible state, I didn't deal with him then, and I made a vow that I wouldn't, but I kind of made a mistake, and he really should have been eliminated right there. And yet, what was it that we all know about David? What's, he was a man after? He was a man after God's own heart. Why? <laughs> because he, would, he engaged in the Lord's work each time that it was brought before him. He engaged in the Lord's work versus his own work each time it was presented to him. Back to Exodus chapter 5. It says this in verse 6. The same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty low blow. Because these people are wanting to go worship and say, there is a time, let us take a three-day journey, take a day to worship the Lord, and then three days back. Six days of work, six days of traveling, and one day of worshiping the Lord. I tell you what, you know what they are? What, is it, what does it say here in the next few verses? Keep reading. Let them go gather their own straw, verse 8, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. <laughs> that is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. It's amazing what false motives get attributed to us when we are actually trying to do the work of the Lord. I have had some times in my life, and I have loved it. Amen. Got one good amen in out of that. That's good. Just give a Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever really been pure-hearted about something as much as you know how, and you're really trying to do something for the Lord, and somebody falsely accuses you of some terrible motive? You know what, Sutherland? We think we think that you are the most power-hungry, usurping terrible employee that we've ever had. Really? So which part of me saying, yes, ma'am, please tell me whatever you'd like for me to do and I will do it with all my might, indicated to you that I was power hungry and trying to usurp your authority. Perhaps it's exactly like this. Would you let us go worship the Lord? You know what you are? You're lazy. That's what you are. You're lazy. Wait, what? I, I, I'm not quite getting this. 
make the work harder for the men so that they may keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Everybody say, to the lies. lies. You liar. You're a lying liar. That's what you are, right? And then we see how it goes forward. Let's take a look. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 16. We're going to come back to that idea there in Exodus 5. Exodus chapter 16. Verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Eliam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Eliam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. And we know as a church, we do not skip any word that every word, that every date, that every time that's here matters. There are specific things that are here that that we're going to acknowledge and move on. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. How much of the community? Whole community. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Um, Do you remember what we just read? This is what they're lamenting. These are the pots of meat that they were sitting around eating. Was now you have to go make more bricks, but we're not even going to give you the straw to accomplish it. We're going to make this harder and harder on you so that we know you're going to fail at this because we're just trying to be hard on you. We're just trying to to get at you because you want to go worship your God. You want to actually take a day. You want to go on a three-day journey and take a whole day to just say, the Lord's ways, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I'm going to rest from my labors and I'm going to accomplish what God wants me to accomplish. Hmm. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Yes, we're going to starve you to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. I I will rain it down upon you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. How many of us can look at our lives and say, it is like God has rained down provision in our life before? He has rained down His favor. He's rained down His very word to us. He's rained down the bread from heaven. And all we have to do is follow the instructions for this thing. Verse 5, On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that it is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. In the evening you will know, and in the morning you will see His glory, because He has heard your grumbling against us. Because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said you will know that it is the Lord when He gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Take a look down in verse 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. Say, as much as he needed. needed. Please do not be like those weak-willed, limp-wristed Christians that go around and think that God hasn't given you enough, that somehow you lack, that somehow you don't have enough, and only if you had 
insert whatever you would like next. If only you had that better job, then, then you could really follow the Lord. If only you had an easier time with this. If only your family would do this. If only this wasn't an obstacle. If only this were the addition that you needed. Let's not be like those people. Because each morning, we can gather as much as we need. We can gather as much as we need from the heavenly storehouse and use it for that day. As much as you need. How much do you need? Do you need a lot more? Well, then take it. Pick it up from the Lord and use it in your life. There are no excuses. We like to make them. But there aren't any. If you have everything that you need, what excuse is left? Oh, oh, then it's on me to make sure that I use what I've got because I've got as much as I need. And now I'm, now I'm required. If I actually believe that I get what I need and as much as I need of it, then now it's on me to I have no more excuse. I have to produce. I cannot turn around. I can't back up. I can't run around and hide because I've gotten everything that I need for life and godliness. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. <laughs> on the sixth day, so there was, so there was a time limit on, on them getting this. You can have as much as you need, but at some point, some of these things dry up. Because you just didn't go get it. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest. Everybody say day of rest. Day of rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. What kind of Sabbath? Sabbath? I don't know that there's any other kind of Sabbath, but just in case you didn't get it, he's saying it's a holy Sabbath. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Well, thank you. Eat it today, Moses said, because tomorrow, uh, I'm sorry, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. And I'm just going to touch on the next verse here. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but found none. Bread is raining down from heaven. We know the story of manna, right? Bread is raining down from heaven. He says, you can't gather on the seventh day. And yet people went out. And what did they do? They looked for it on the seventh day. Said, no, on the sixth day, you get twice as much as you need for that day because it will carry you through. We're going to get what you need here. Here we see that the Sabbath, this rest, this holy Sabbath to the Lord, it allows us to eat. It allows us to eat everything that we need. It allows us to eat and enjoy his goodness. Turn to a few pages over to Exodus 20. Chapter 20 and verse 8 says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Everybody say, remember the Sabbath. When you remember the Sabbath, you help keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Whose work? Yeah, six days. By the way, it's amazing. Uh, this is not an American philosophy, is it? American, somewhere back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, we got to this idea of a 40, 40 hour work week, right? We want to go five days and have two days off, because that must be better. If one day off is good, two days off, much better, right? Now we're getting to the point where 
where this current generation is not so much worried about working five days a week, if you just let me get all my work done, if I can get it done in three days, then I get four days off. This is great. This is fantastic. I'm just going to remind you that the scripture says it this way. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor manservant or maidservant, nor animals, nor the alien living among you within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested. When we remember what God did even in creation, even in Genesis 2 where God said and caused the seventh day to be a day of rest and called it holy. He said, when we remember the Sabbath, we are connecting, we are reminding, we are causing ourselves to be in alignment with what God has already proclaimed. Um, I learned this lesson the hard way uh, years ago. And I'm still learning it, I guess. I learned that I was very, very easy to trust the Lord with my tithe. The 10% off the top, first 10%, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. This is what easily what you deserve, Lord. This is my minimum that I'm going to give to you is the 10%. I'll give you more. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, because he can do more with that 90% than I can do with 100%. And then I would turn around and think that I had to work on my own work, my own labor, seven days a week without rest. I could trust him with my money, but I couldn't actually trust him with me to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to rest from my labor on one day a week to show you that you are holy. To remind myself that I don't run this world and I don't keep it spinning, but you do. So I'm going to take this day off and you're going to provide everything I need and I'm just going to rest from my labors and focus on what you have for me, Lord. I'm going to think on you in a different way. Now the truth is, I hope to do that every day. But there's got to be something here when, <laughs> whether we want to eat, when, when we remember, we, focus, we refocus ourselves on the Lord. Exodus 23, verse 12 says this, 23, 12. Six days, do your work. Whose work? Your work. Do it. Do the work. But on the seventh day, do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household, and the alien as well. Look at that last little phrase. What happens when you follow the way God does it? You get refreshed. Everybody take a deep breath. Let it out. Wow. If your walk doesn't have moments, if your walk with the Lord doesn't have some moments where you can be refreshed, when you can exhale. The conversation that I had with the family member was was around this. Family member loved to serve, loved to help other people, had very, very pure heart about many things and had gotten distorted and twisted in that, in trying to start off with good things, because it wasn't aligned with Scripture all the way. My conversation was merely a conversation to try to align their life with what the Scripture says. (laughs) When we allow ourselves to get into a Sabbath, when we follow what the Lord is doing in our lives, you know what it does? It allows us to hit a reset button, and apparently we as human beings need one about every seven days. You can ignore the principle. I can ignore the principle all I like. But about every seven days, I should rest from my own work 
and turn my thoughts only to the Lord. Not what I need to accomplish at my job, like your job, not, not the thing that's coming next, but I need to just stop and say, Lord, you are so good. You provide everything that we need as much as I need it. You can provide it to me. I want to be a faithful steward and show myself true to you, but you're the provider to me. You are the father who imparts to his children. You are the one that has it all anyway, lest I get a distorted picture that says that it's got to be my strength that somehow even ascends to the Lord, even amongst a church like this. I do not need to build a tower to get to him. He's already proven and has come down to me. This reset on Sabbath allows us to go, amen. Amen. It is your work, Lord. It is your strength. I get eager and I want to do it all for you. Yes, and you tell me this. You showed me this pattern. How can you ultimately bless me as much as I want if I don't follow your very instructions that you gave? No matter how much I want to go look for the manna on the seventh day, you know what? It's not going to be there. There's a prescribed way that God is trying to do this and we hope to... I hope to make this more clear as we go through. Turn to the next chapter, Exodus 24. And let's look in verse 15. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. On this Sabbath day, what happens? The very Lord of all creation calls to Moses. When was the last time the Lord called to you? When was the last time you you felt it encountered like a consuming fire on the top of whatever this situation is in your life? Where God Himself is there. Turn to Exodus 31. That the God of all creation can call to us Exodus 31, let's start in verse 12. Noticing that all of these are in the book of Exodus. It happens to be seven. Verse 12, Exodus 31, 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. It's almost like God is trying to tell them something. (laughs) There was an animated movie and a person's talking to another little, one of the little characters, and it's like, it's almost like he's trying to tell me something. I know it. No, he just told you exactly what you're supposed to hear. I, I'm not getting it. Well, clearly, the Lord is telling his people, you must observe my Sabbath. Why? Because this will be a sign between me and you. Huh. Here's your sign. For the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Is that not what most of our altar time was this morning? Was about making you holy? This is exactly what the Lord has been talking to us today. His words to us today is that He can hear from Hebrews 12, from, from the different parts that were spoken before. He's saying this will be a sign. Well, what's a sign? The sign that I'm going to trust you, God, more than anything that I can do, more than anything that I can make, more than any amount of money, more than any accomplishment I can do, is I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do what you tell me to do because it will be a sign between him and us. It's a marking. It's a sign. It's a public notice 
for exa- that God is doing something in our lives that is very unique. Chapter 34. Chapter 34 and starting in verse 21. 34, 21. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest you must rest. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Even when it's busy, I'm supposed to take a day of rest? Wait, wait, wait. But there's a harvest out there. Don't you know that if we don't get all the harvest in, then we can't eat? Don't you know that there's a problem? He says, even in the busy seasons in your life, even when it's completely appropriate and it would make sense to you to continue to do this at a breakneck speed, he says, even in your busy season, even in the harvest time, you're supposed to take a rest. (laughs) So you can feel his approval upon you. So you can feel his spirit. You can rest in him. You're going to rest from your labors. Chapter 35 Verse 2, for six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be what? Your holy day. Wow. Holy day. Almost like a holiday, right? It's where that, it's where that comes from, to, be a, to have a holy day before the Lord. When we're looking through these things, can you just think about it for a second? How many Sabbaths would there be in a year? Right? So... Somewhere over 50, right? (laughs) Let's go with 52. There's going to be 52 Sabbaths in a year for someone. They're going to go along and have these. You know what else they had, though? They had special feasts that added Sabbath days. If the feast didn't happen to start on the Sabbath, you might have a Sabbath and then another Sabbath. And then you would come, and somewhere in between might be another Sabbath because it's the normal one, and then you're going to end your festival, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to have another Sabbath. In that one week-ish, you might have, in a 10-day in a period, you could have three or four Sabbaths. Wow. After you add all of those in there, somewhere around seven more that could be added on there, you're close to 60 Sabbaths in a year. Bosh, how, how are you going to get all the work done? Taking every other day off, Right? If, if, if Judaism, if us reaching out to the Lord would have been a man-made religion, don't you think they would have done it in a way that didn't cause, this is an unproductive day, we're losing revenue, there's so much more that we can get done. Why would mankind say, nope, taking the day off from my labor to focus on the Lord only, to commune with the Lord in a different way, to, to focus on Him so much that our whole life completely revolves around just Him. Just what He's called us to do. Just what we're supposed to be focused on there. I I don't know that I would have built something like that. Turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Verse 3, There are six days when you may work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. So there's a rest and a sacred assembly. I like it. You are not to do any work wherever you live. <laughs> you live here, you live there, wherever you live. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. Verse 
Look at verse 7. We're talking about the feast of Passover and then of unleavened bread. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. We can keep going through all these throughout. I want you to look at another verse, though. Look at uh, same chapter, verse 22. We could go through all seven feasts and see which one add Sabbaths to the work week or to their normal week. But look at verse 22. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, this is in the, in the feast of weeks, right? When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. It's almost like this idea of Sabbath is to give us enough margin in our lives that we can reach out to the people around us. If you don't have the Sabbath to reach out to people around you, if you don't keep the margin, if you glean to the edges of your field, here's the way the Lord communicated this passage to me. It's also in Leviticus 19. Here's the way it came across to me. Um, I typically um, start off in a certain position with whatever job that I found and work my way up whatever ladder there happens to be if it's a ladder. And usually that just indicates that I just do more work. Some people are thoroughbreds. Man, they just run fast. They look pretty. I consider myself more of a Clydesdale. Just load that bad boy up, put it in the, put it in the wagon that I'm carrying about, just keep throwing it on there. I got it. I would have thought we'd add this. At this point, does it really? Just go ahead. It doesn't even matter. Right? I got to the point where I was working 80 and 90 hours a week at a particular job. I could not, I would not even allow myself hours off without me answering somebody's email, without me having a, a phone call that somebody needed something, and of course they needed it five minutes ago. And the Lord spoke this passage to me, and He says, what are you going to give to anybody when they need it? I was gleaning to the edges of my field. I was maxed out in every sense of the word. My abilities, my heart, my mind, my spirit, everything was maxed out. I had no... <laughs> I had to go to the edges of the field because... I needed to be able to do extra stuff. So I just kept reaping and I kept gleaning and I kept going over the field. And you know what it did? There's still plenty of work to do. I couldn't get to the end of my work and I was not able to help the alien and the foreigner among us. I had nothing to give anybody. In attempting to try to give everything to everybody, I ended up having nothing to give to anybody. Does that make sense? The reason that this passage and these words make sense to me is because my life was wrong. I was wrong. I was sinning before a holy God and I was trying to do everything I knew. But somehow I'd placed my own desire and my own strength ahead of what he says, ahead of what his word clearly instructs. And so therefore, because I was out of obedience to him, I was out of alignment. And he spoke this to me, and it corrected me, and it was hard, and I talked to Eric about it and Matt about it. This was years before we ever moved here. I have this drive. I don't want to leave anything undone that the Lord tells me to do. I don't. And he says to do it this way. He says that it's okay. It'll be there when you get back to it. It'll still be there. You're going to accomplish his work. But if I... Oh, you mean I have to grow in my level of trust? Oh, yeah, that sounds about right. 
When you reap the, the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the alien. Those who can't eat. You're talking about your leftovers, and that's going to be the very thing that sustains someone else. The stuff that you would ignore or throw away or glean and leave in some pile somewhere is going to be the very thing that, a, that, a poor, that someone poor around you, poor in spirit, they're going to have to come and go, Oh, it's the bread of life. Oh, amen. I'm glad I didn't go over that a second time. I didn't know you were going to be walking by that time. Hmm. Look at Leviticus 25. Not only did they have a weekly Sabbath, not only were there multiple Sabbaths that weren't a part of the weekly Sabbath, they were actually yearly Sabbaths. The Lord said to Moses, uh, chapter 25, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, whenever you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it's almost like this principle is something important, even though I was a person, maybe you're a person who's ignored these very biblical principles. Because God thought it important enough, He even put a Sabbath on the land itself. When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest. Now, he's not talking about some crop rotation. Right? That's the way I would have done it. You want, land, you want, you want the land to rest. Great. We'll do these three fields, and I'll let that one rest. On the, I'll have seven fields, and one is always off. I got it. Got you, Lord. Give him the land the rest. He said, no, 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 no. The whole land. Everybody. Everywhere. Why don't you take off? Um, what kind of man, what kind of group of people would put their entire existence on the line if God had not spoken this to them? So what are we saying? Uh, let's, let's keep reading. But in the seventh, verse four, but in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what it grows or of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your manservant, and your maidservant, and the hired worker, worker and the temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. <laughs> so you tend your crops, you plant your vineyards, you do your work. Sixth year, basically what we're saying is you're going to have enough of a bumper crop. It's going to carry you. You'll have enough for the sixth year. The seventh year, you can go pick an apple off of a tree while you're walking by. You're just not supposed to tend it. You're not supposed to harvest it, reap it. All right, guys, it's gathering time. No. You can have the food and eat it because there's still provision that God is making plus the bumper crop. And then in the eighth year, then you go and plant. And at the end of the eighth year crop is when you get food. What kind of people group would have chosen to do this unless a God said every Sixth year, you're going to have a bumper crop. Every sixth year. Enough to carry you through to the end of the eighth year when the crops are supposed to come in. 
What if, what if this doesn't happen one time? In the history of the Jews, what if this happens, what if this fails to happen one time? People go hungry and starve. <laughs> These principles are important, folks. But how is it, Lord, okay, Lord, you're showing us this to us in a weekly pattern. You're saying this is important. This is important. I'm showing you weekly. This is important. Okay, now yearly. We're going to have a year. We go, it goes into the year of Jubilee. After seven sets of these things, then there's a whole year where it's off again. What is it that the Lord is trying to tell us here? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 56. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 56. Starting in verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice. Everybody say maintain justice. Maintain justice. And do what is right. Everybody say do what is right. Do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who does this. The man who holds it fast. Who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. I I love the fact that our church has such a clear picture that holiness is not just about what we don't do. It's not just about how we're going to only abstain from this and that's what makes us holy. Yes, there are some things that we will abstain from, but the whole definition of holiness does not only include that, it includes what we will do that is righteous. We will maintain justice. We will go after exactly what we will put our hand to do what the Lord has us to do, which is as much holiness as what we abstain from. And I would argue probably more. Let no foreigner, verse 3, who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. All right. For this is what the Lord says. Let you add your own commentary there. Verse 4, For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temples and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. This is the very heart of our Savior. (laughs) Not only those who are in the fold, not only the sons and daughters, but if you choose to follow and do exactly what he says, he will include you in. This is the God who is always saying, for God so loved the world. This was always his heartbeat. This is not an Old Testament, New Testament thing. This is completely throughout Scripture. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls. I've already included them. I'm going to pull them in and I'll give them a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship Him. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it. Wow. How are we doing on that? And who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. 
Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Didn't Jesus quote this exact passage? Didn't, Didn't he use this very passage when he was in the temple? And he sees those who were exchanging money as he makes the whip, as he turns over the tables. Isn't he quoting this? My house is going to be a house of prayer for all the nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, (laughs) I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. God is drawing. But throughout this, what does he say? Those who keep my commandments, those who keep my Sabbaths without desecrating them. This idea of setting Christ, of setting him as Lord over our life, of going back to this repeatedly and saying, you are the highest authority. Lord, if I don't reset myself, you know what I keep doing? I keep thinking that I'm the one that's got to figure everything out. I keep thinking that I'm the one that's got to put my hand to it and do it. Without his empowerment, it's futile. So all constantly I go back and say, Lord, it's got to be you. Amen. Lord, am I hearing from you? Lord, would you speak to me again? I know you probably told me 10 times already, but I'm just dense. I'm slow sometimes. Would, would, you, would you confirm to me? that I have your approval? Would you confirm to me that I'm going in the right direction? Hey, at the very least, how about we do it once a week? It's, I've, I've heard it said, I don't know how to verify this, but I've heard it said, if you fly from Los Angeles to New York in an airplane, you have to have thousands of course corrections due to wind, what's going on, how the plane actually goes. That's why now most of it's done by computers. But if you think about it, there is a right course, but what's the deal? Well, nope, get you right back on. One degree off times 5,000 miles puts you way off. A little bit off over the course of a long span of time. If you're a little bit off and you're thinking now and you're 30, if you don't correct a little bit off now, you could be way off the mark by the time you're 60 or 50 or 40. We have to continually course correct and say, Lord, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter if I'm comfortable with it. It doesn't matter if I've always thought this. What do you have to say about it? This is the direction I've thought it this way. I've said it this way. And I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen. You've thought thought something one way your whole life, and somebody goes, well, what about this? And you're like, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I have no idea how to answer that. Those are actually very good things. In yes. in this body, we enjoy we we enjoy getting into the word and saying, ah, "I see it this way." Mm, I'm not sure that I see it that way. Amen. It's like iron sharpening iron or something. Yeah. This is a good thing for us. And all the time, we keep referencing back, not even to who's the best, you know, scriptural ninja. I win again. We're great. Are you right? Because <laughs> if you're not right, you didn't win. <laughs> and if you're trying to win in those conversations, I, we might want to talk about some other maturity issues. But um, turn, to, turn to Psalm chapter 92. Psalm 92. So right under the chapter heading in my Bible, it says Psalm 92, and then under it it says a psalm, period, a song, period, 
for the Sabbath day, is what it says in my Bible. Some of you may have something similar. (laughs) Verse 1. So if this is a song or a psalm for the Sabbath day, perhaps when we give up our work, when we actually yield to what the Lord is doing in our lives, this is something that we could even be thinking. This is a song. This is what should probably be permeating who we are and how we are on on a given Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning. Oh, wait a minute. And your faithfulness at night. God, we wake up in the morning and we are declaring your love to us. At the end of the day, you know what we see? We see that you've been so faithful to us. Your love in the morning, your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. Do you have time to just kind of reset your thinking like this? That's why we read the Word. That's why we should each be in the Word daily. Daily is the minimum. (laughs) Right? Multiple times daily is probably going to do you good. Why? Because it causes you to think like this, how great are your works, O Lord? Isn't that better than staying in your own little world and being worried every day about what's coming? How are we going to make it? How am I supposed to overcome this? We don't have the money. I don't know how this is going to work out. What's going to go on here? Ah! Hmm. How great are your works, O Lord? How profound your thoughts. The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will forever be destroyed. Huh. I think we read that out of Psalm 73, right? Earlier. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. Guys, if you're not realigning your thinking like this often, it's easy to get eaten up. The word of the Lord that came forth earlier today was if we do not continually seek and get in His presence, there will be a time coming where we won't make it. That's the word of the Lord to us this morning. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. I love it. The routing. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in an old age. Come on now. Come on on now. If you're my age or older, you should be loving that scripture. They will still bear fruit in old age. Amen. Come on, word of the Lord. They will stay fresh and green. Proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Amen. An entire psalm here that just lets us know these are these are this this group of thoughts on the Sabbath day. Lord, we rest from our labors. We focus in on you. Turn to Nehemiah. 
chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. It says this. Let's start in verse 7. I'm going to have to skip around a little bit because I like this chapter too much, and if I don't skip, then we'll stay here all day. Verse 7. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you. And you made a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. Yeah. His promises are sure. His word is true. We can count on him. Nehemiah then goes through. It's amazing how many times when you address the entire nation, how many times in the Bible you see a whole history of the nation of Israel given in a single chapter. For you Bible students in here, go look, go look some of those up. Go see which, where in the history of the nation they come up. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible, incredible look. Verse 16. But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Wow, what a statement. But you are forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt or when they committed awful blasphemies. Um, Verse 19, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on their way that they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. That's a neat way to say it. You gave your good spirit. Yeah. Yes. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from them, uh, from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. It's almost like he gives us everything we need. For 40 years, you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Even in the desert times in your life, we can lack nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. And it goes on. And take a look at chapter 10. Chapter 10. As he went through the rest of the history, the people looked. We we will agree to the word of God. The beginning of chapter 10 names the people who helped seal it. Verse 28 says this. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand. All these now join their brothers and the nobles and binding themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord God. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples purchase, uh, bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year we will forego working the land 
and we will cancel all the debts. Out of all the things they could have ascribed to, it's pretty interesting that (laughs) there's a few things that they really focused on seeing how the damage from their entire history. That's why Nehemiah went over the history was to say, you keep failing on actually responding and obeying the word of the Lord. Um, Turn to chapter 13 in Nehemiah. Verse 15, Nehemiah 13, 15. So this is three chapters later. In those days I saw men in Judah treading winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your forefathers do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Again, they kept forgetting this one basic principle. It's almost like they had to set guards. This is exactly what he does in the next passage. He sets guards so that they won't sell on the Sabbath. So much so that visiting people would come and they just had to spend the night outside to wait for the Sabbath to be done. And Nehemiah said, "Uh, by the way, next time we're going to raise our hand against you. We are not going to desecrate this. We're actually going to have to fight it out and defend it. Turn to Mark chapter chapter 2. Almost done here. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 and starting in verse 23. Says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I have a quick question. If they're walking through a field on the Sabbath, why are the Pharisees there to go, Why are your people doing what is unlawful? They have their ancient binoculars on them got their handy cam, their GoPro that they're watching, they're taped in the field. I don't know that I have an answer to this. I'm just, it's curious to me when I look at it and go, they're walking along, and I don't know if these Pharisees are, there's something about them, they're always trying to catch Jesus, and they're always especially trying to catch him on the Sabbath. They're always trying to set him up on a Sabbath. They're always trying to question him on a Sabbath to see what he's doing and why and are you breaking the law? Let's see what he says. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? A, I'm not sure that it was unlawful, but verse 25, he answered, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of uh, Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man. (laughs) 
All the scriptures that we've read thus far, this should put it in perfect context for you. Jesus was not trying to give you something and say, here's the Sabbath, let me cram all of you people into the Sabbath. He's saying the Sabbath was made for you. It was made on your behalf. It was made as a blessing to you. It was made as the reset button for you. Was that there's a a retail store that has an easy button, right? Just push the easy button. This is the reset. This is the easy button that God gave you to say, push. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Huh. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. (laughs) He's saying, you guys are focused so much on rules and regulations, you think that it's about that and you've missed the entire point. You're literally speaking to the Lord of the Sabbath who made this day for you and you're trying to contradict Him. It's almost like when we try to do, and the Lord is instructing us to do something, but we can't quite get it straight in our mind, and so we are actually challenging, we're complaining, we're grumbling, we're in opposition to what God has told us, but He's the one, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I've made this for you, and you don't like the way that, I'm, that I've told you to do it. This is the only way that it's really going to work for you, and you're fighting the Lord of the Sabbath on what He's, on what he's instructed you. Look in verse uh, chapter 3. Keep going. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Whether he's out in the field or in the temple, apparently they're just looking for a reason. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, What is lawful on the Sabbath? Uh, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. (laughs) You bunch of cowards. Come on, guys, tell me. Am I supposed to do good or bad on this day? Yeah, no, you. You're the one that, you, you have been trying to trip me up. You. Why don't you tell me what the answer to this question is? He looked around, um, he looked around at them in anger. Probably thought the same thing I just said. You bunch of cowards. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. He healed on the Sabbath and they wanted to kill him. Wow. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9. This is a parallel passage to what we just read. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? There were all kind of rules and regulations of what they could do on the Sabbath. Because if you had to... We're talking about Sabbath as a very external concept to our culture. If it was part of your culture, you would come up to these things and go, Ah! There's a sheep. and I don't want my sheep to die. But it's a Sabbath day. Do I, can, I pick the, can I get the sheep out of the problem? 
How much more? And the answer is, yes, they could. Yes, they could. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? And the in the Mark passage, he was asking questions here in the Matthew passage. He just says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. In case you were wondering, he wasn't asking, in this version of it, he wasn't asking a question. He was just saying, I can do good on a Sabbath. We can heal people on a Sabbath. We can do exactly, we've laid down our work, but that means we can take on the work of the Lord on the Sabbath. It's not always just like, hey, can we sit back and kick our feet up? It's, Lord, I'm going to rest from my own labors. What is it that you have for me to do? What what am I supposed to do? What are you instructing me to do? Who is it that I'm supposed to go to? What am I supposed to say? Lord, this should be our daily, but in case it's not, and even if it is today, the whole day, this is all that I want to think about is what you want for me, is, is to reset my thinking according to your word. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4. It says this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Wow. Wouldn't you hate to hear the message of the gospel and it have no value in your life? Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Oh, we heard it. We heard you. We got you. Loud and clear. But it never interacted with them in a way that caused their faith to come alive. They did not join the faith to what they heard. And so it was of no value to them. Now we who have been, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That's referencing back to Psalm 95 which is referencing, Psalm 95 is referencing back to Exodus 17, where they're out and they're like, we're going to die. We need something to drink. We don't have any water. They call that place um, uh, Merah and Meribah. Testing and quarreling is what the name of that place was. Moses stroked the stone with his staff and water flowed out and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world i like the fact that we are joining something that's already done we don't see it as done yet but it's already done it's the the outcome of this is determined for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words somewhere and on the seventh day god rested from all his work And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest, back in Psalm 95. It still remains that some will enter that rest and that those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. It's always about our obedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, rest from all their enemies, conquered everyone in their, in their area, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest. Everybody say Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest. For the people of God. If anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, 
just as God did from, did from his. Same theme throughout, every time you see this, right? Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that, none, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Look at verse 12. We just read from verses 1 to 11. We're talking about entering the rest of God. And then this passage, which we're all extremely familiar with, we now get to. It is in the context. We are continuing on with the same thought. We don't want to fall by following their example of disobedience, for the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. I would rather take time repeatedly and often to go before Him who I must give an account. (laughs) I don't want to wait until these things build up until I've been one degree off for a really, really, really long time and then have to settle up for that. I'd rather go, Lord, am, am am, am I right where I need to be? Am I doing what you want me to do? Yes, amen. Would you give me the strength to keep going? Nope, I'm one degree off. Lord, that's sin. I missed the mark. I'm off. Would you help me to get back on? I want to enter into that rest. I want to be so at one with you that even when my hand is busy doing something, it's not my labor anymore. It's your labor at work in me. It's your strength that's at work in me. Genesis 11, as we wrap it up. Genesis 11. Verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. We talked about brick at the very beginning of this, how that was used as a symbol for work, how that was a symbol for the labor of the people. In this case, brick is also a signal of we're not really wanting to do this God's way. This is the labor of man that we see. At the Tower of Babel, they, weren't, they didn't want to do it with stone. They wanted to do it with brick. They wanted to show that they can make even the very building blocks of what needed to go on. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 is our last verse. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this. 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. <clears throat> As you come to Him the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, 
the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, and, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I just want to encourage you guys today with what we have and what we've, what we've spoken on. Let's not just add another brick to the wall. Let's not just add another thing that we decide to do, another thing that we decide to take on, another thing that we try to put our hand to do. I don't want to be a brick maker. Like, like most people in here, I, I have a full-time job, and that's not what defines me. I want to be defined as a living stone. One that he chooses and he puts in the altar as he sees fit. Because when you're making bricks, you're trying to be symmetrical. You're trying to have a process. You're trying to have a program. This is it. I know exactly the dimensions. I can grab any brick and stack it on any other brick. I don't need the discernment of God if I have a bunch of bricks. But if I have stones, hmm. Well, this one's not cut the same. It's not designed. It's not symmetric. It's not one size fits all. But neither is the kingdom. Neither is your place in the kingdom. That's what we've got to figure out today. Maybe you've put your hand to too much work. You decided that your definition of who you are was a brickmaker. Nah. We're living stones. We're the sons and the daughters of the Most High. Amen. We want to have His Spirit at work in us. We want to trust Him. We want to actually be people of faith because without faith, we can't please Him. We want to actually believe that He can do more in us if we relinquish our own thoughts and our own labors to Him. That He'll do more in us than what we can do on our own. Amen? Let's stand to our feet.